26th head football coach of this great institution. Ladies and gentlemen, our new head football coach, Mel Tucker. Our team, we will be physical. Wilkins again gives to Benjamin. Hit and dropped in the backfield. <laughs> Mustafa Johnson shooting through for Colorado. Sometimes you just know. And I know that the young men in that room, they're hungry. An interception thrown by Martinez. It's picked off by guess who? I've never been in a game as a player or a coach that we weren't expected to win. Blitz from Nebraska. Montez takes a shot. Drops it in to Chanel. Touchdown! Welcome back to episode 12 of the Shoulder to Shoulder podcast, where Chase and I were just talking about how excited we are for the basketball team that Tad Boyle's put together. Yeah. They're going to be good. They're, they somehow got kind of screwed out of a top 25 ranking, or at least preseason ranking, but uh, we will. That's okay, though. Yeah, I think they'll jump in pretty that, quick. That's after okay, though. It's just even more like they don't believe in us material, so... <laughs> I think, it's, I think it's good for a Tad Boyle-led team. Right at March Madness. Let's go. Perfect. So uh, before we before we go over the, the UCLA game, uh, we will talk about the Pac-12 as always. And we'll start with Utah, which survived Washington. And we, we didn't really get to watch these because we were at the tailgate for the UCLA game. And um, we watched a little bit of the second half. It seemed like, you know, going after the first half, Utah kind of took over and showed that they're really the more dominant physical team here. Yeah, I mean, credit to Utah. Actually, really, we'll talk about Oregon too, but the the top teams in the Pac-12 really did what they need to do this week to uh, stay in the playoff hunt. So, you know, Utah, it it looked like it was going to be a struggle for them. Um, Washington went up up on them early, so it it wasn't looking very good. But Utah kind of just did their thing and worked their way back in, and Huntley had another solid game. Zach Moss had a solid game. So, you know, they just, yeah, Utah just doing Utah things another week. Uh, you know, Washington put up a good fight, but that's just a good football team over there. Yeah, and from what we saw, and also when I watched the highlights of this game, Tyler Huntley was throwing absolute dimes out there. Yeah, he started, I think he started out slow, but it seemed like he got into a rhythm as the game went on, kind of, and, and I guess Utah as a team kind of got into a rhythm altogether, so, um, I mean, yeah, it, he's he's been great every week. I feel like he doesn't get as much respect as he probably mm-hmm. deserves, especially the way the last couple of weeks he's kind of been playing through injury and stuff, but I mean, he had 284 yards and a touchdown, and his average yards per completion was 11.8, which is very, very good, so... Uh, he really, you know, he's he's carried them to the record that they have right now. And really since that loss against USC, I, I feel like Utah is really coming to their own. And I if if Utah and Oregon were to play in the Pac-12 championship this week, I don't know who I would pick, honestly. Yeah, I mean, in the, the interesting thing about Utah here in this game was with, with Huntley is this is probably the best secondary they're going to play all year. Uh, and I mean, again, he was still like, like you said, he, he took a little bit to get going, but he still kind of picked him apart in the second half and it was pretty impressive to watch. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, the numbers were, he only had one touchdown, but he did his thing. He didn't turn the ball over. He moved the ball consistently and, and really let his, his legs for one, he scored one touchdown rushing and, and let Zach Moss kind of help him along the way. And together, you know, they just... They're a good duo. They're a good combo, and and Utah's really got something going over there for sure. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of excited to see how they finish out the rest of the season. Aside from the CU game, hopefully they somehow fail miserably <laughs> on that end. At this point, I don't even know if, if that's what I want. If I mean, like I don't I don't know if that'll look like. Obviously, it'll look good for CU, but on the other hand, if Utah goes in undefeated. Up to, or not undefeated, a one-loss team to a Pac-12 championship, and Oregon goes in a one-loss team to the Pac-12 championship, that's probably the conference's best bet to maybe sneak into the playoffs somewhere. So, you know, you're kind of you're kind of stuck in the middle. Obviously, I will always root for the Buffs to win, but, you know, at that point, it would be the last game of the season. 
Um, and unless they pulled off a shocking upset over Washington and uh, still a pretty good, in my mind, upset over Stanford, it's not going to mean anything. Right. But, you know, we'll see how that comes when it comes to that game. And then you know, following that game, Oregon State dominated Arizona. I, I feel like we're really the only team Khalil Tate can ever play against. <laughs> I don't. Oh, God. I don't know what it is with that guy, man. I mean, Grant Gannell ended up taking over and, and playing a bulk of the game. So, and he, I mean, he played pretty well to his credit. He had 269 yards and two touchdowns, but Arizona just Oregon state absolutely wiped the floor with them in this one. And I think, you know, it's kind of what we've seen from Oregon state. Their offense is actually pretty solid. It's pretty talented. Um, Isaiah Hodgins again had 150 yards and two touchdowns. So, He's pretty incredible. Um, and Arizona just continues to be this team that is kind of hard to pin down. I mean, one week everyone's saying, oh, their defense seems like it's getting better. And then two weeks later, they've lost two games in a row and gotten absolutely dunked on by two offenses. So, I, you know, it's hard to say what's going on with them. But, yeah, you know, they're not very strong. Right. And, you know, what's kind of frustrating for me about this is that Oregon State's offensive coordinator is none other than <laughs> Brian Lindgren, former CU offensive coordinator in yes. 2016. Yes. So, you know, it's it's kind of hard to watch them do what they're doing on offense against teams, and then we come out. And I think, granted, a lot of it is on certain individuals rather than the play calling, but right, we right. come out and score 17 or 14, excuse me, against UCLA, three against Oregon. 10 against Washington State. It's just frustrating to see that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, that said, Oregon State did only manage seven points against Utah. And, um, I mean, 21 is still solid against Cal. It got them the win. But, you know, they have had their ups and downs too. But I, I'm with you. It's it's tough to see them come up putting up 50 burgers and, like, actually big games for them when we seem to be unable to do that right now. Yeah, when was the last time we put up a 50-burger against somebody other than Colorado State? I'm trying to think of when it would be. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, honestly, I can't I can't remember the last time we put up 50 on somebody, but it, it's been a while, and it would be great if CU could get to that point in production. It, I think it's just tough because, I mean, as we saw in the game this week, which we'll talk about, consistency is a problem for all of our guys. Wide receivers, obviously the quarterback. We've talked about him an incredible amount on this podcast. But, yeah, I mean, it's hard to – no matter how good your scheme is, if guys are just making mental errors or making mistakes out there, then it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, you know, Oregon State, like we said, took them down 56-38. to 38, And then in the same – coming from the same state, Oregon took down USC 56-24. to 24. Uh, and it actually started off, USC put up a, a good fight. It was 10 nothing after the first quarter, and then at the end of the half, it was 28-17. So it was looking like it was going to be a game. And then, you know, Oregon kind of just turned it on pretty much everywhere and just ran away with it. Yeah, I mean, Oregon putting up 28 points in a quarter is, is pretty impressive. I, I think USC's defense was only going to be able to stay in that one for so long. So, I mean, we saw what CU was able to do them last week. Um you know, I think this was huge for Oregon, really, because USC was a game I think a lot of people had circled as, okay, this could be trouble for them. And next week, I mean, next week they play Arizona. They've got Arizona State after that. But, you know, the way Arizona State has been playing, I'm, I'm not super worried about it. And then they'll have Oregon State at home. So I feel like Oregon, after getting past USC now, is looking pretty good to make it to the Pac-12 championship game with only one loss. Yeah, and yeah, really, the more we look at it, it just really seems like it's pretty much down to Oregon and Utah. I'm trying to, without looking at the Pac-12 standings, I don't think either of them have, unless they lose, I think they kind of control their, their destiny at this point. Yeah, well, now that USC lost Utah, as long as they don't drop another game, they're they're through. And Oregon, I think, now that they are 6-0, I'm, I'm pretty sure... Let's see. They would have to. They would have to lose all three of their next games, and one of them would have to be to Oregon State, and Oregon State mm-hmm. would have to win out, and then I think <laughs> theoretically they could uh, they could sneak in there. Yeah. I th- well, I think we actually had this. We had looked at this, and Oregon two weeks ago was four games ahead of the North just because of how the head to heads work and and conference records. 
So I think they were actually pretty safe even two weeks ago. But now at this point, you know, both teams really are are heading towards where is it? It's not Pasadena. Not Pasadena. Um, Levi Stadium. Levi Stadium. Yeah. Thankfully, this is the last year, and then it's going to Vegas. And then I think I'm going to start making that an annual trip. Just, yeah, that could be good. I'll be watching the game regardless who's in it. Right. But, yeah, so uh, like we said, Oregon and Utah both are definitely in the conversation for the playoffs still. Uh, I don't know how the committee would view it whenever the committee starts pulls out with their first rankings. It's coming up how soon. They view, yeah, but, you know, I wonder what an Oregon or Utah will look like in those rankings. I'm sure they'll probably have Oregon a little higher just because – of the quote-unquote quality loss against Auburn. Right, yeah, the schedule's been a little tougher for sure. Yeah, but I don't see, you know, too much difference. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if it came out when they'd be somewhere like seven or eight in the rankings and then just hopefully have to have to have one of them win out and take somebody's spot. But so that, you know, that covered the, the Pac-12 for this week. Uh, we were the only other game in which we ended up losing 31-14 to UCLA. And it was another slow start, another bad offensive game, really. And even though the defense gave up 31, they did actually play a little bit better. It was kind of impressive. But, you know, it starts, I think, on offense with Montez. And he was, once again, pretty below average. Yeah, he he had a rough game. I mean, especially the way he started. I think he was like one for six with an interception or something like that. I, I don't remember the exact numbers, but it was it was rough for him at the get-go and it led to them going down 17 to nothing right away so I know for us being at that game we were looking at each other like oh my god we might not score any points they might put up you know 40 on us this game the way it was going in the beginning and then it kind of looked like you know the Buffs did their thing where they gave us a little bit of hope they scored a touchdown they got some stops and while the defense was getting stops you know the, the offense just wasn't finding ways to do anything with it. Not to mention, missed kicks were absolutely terribly, horribly painful. Oh, we had a double. We had a double doink. Oh God, it was a horrible shank. It was. <sighs> I, I don't know what happened to him. Is he hurt again? I mean, like it seems like he's fine. And then we'll probably hear something like four months from now that he was hurt or something. But I just, I mean, he normally is pretty consistent, and then he comes out and does that. Yeah, I you know, I don't know. The first kick, the first kick was far. It was I mean, pretty solid distance, but he just missed it left. I mean, it was left the whole way. Um we were like sitting in the opposite end zone, so you could see from the moment it left his foot, he wasn't going to make it. Um and the second one was just you know, I don't even know what happened. I think it was like 27 yards or something like that. It was really really short kick. I mean, we're talking a chip shot here and he just it he didn't hit it right. I don't know what happened i mean i don't know if he slipped i don't know if he's hurt but yeah that that thing wobbled off of his foot and just absolutely just hit the upright and and looked absolutely terrible he would have been lucky if that had gone in yeah and and uh, and actually i noticed uh i think it was in the third quarter or maybe it was right after that second missed field goal but he actually got benched so davis price uh was taking the PATs and if I'm assuming if we would have kicked another field goal, Davis Price would have taken that one as well. Yeah, probably. I mean he yeah, he kicked the extra point and something was going on with Stefano. I don't know what it is, but he looked really bad. Yeah. I was actually, I was even a little bit surprised to see Price just because you don't really see field goal kickers get benched at it really at any level. I think we have kind of the luxury, I guess, of having a guy that's got game experience kicking field goals just because we for some reason had always had like four kickers on scholarship with the last staff. So <laughs> yeah. we have, we have, I think three right now, but you know, it was weird to see. I don't know. I'll, I'll be curious to see who kind of trots out for next week's game against Stanford. Yeah. You know, it'll be interesting. I mean, Stefano hasn't looked very good for pretty much since the Washington state game. It seems like he's, he's been a little shaky. I think part of that is, you know, coaching decisions have kept him from taking kicks. I, I don't know if they're seeing something in practice. I don't know. I mean, I, I got to think it's some kind of mental thing if he's not hurt. I, you know, he's just in his own head or something because he's made big kicks in the past. But I don't know, man. Uh, he struggled, but he was far from the only person who struggled. We talked about Montez already, but it really, I think for me, the biggest thing was we just looked like the worst team out there. I mean, they just looked better than us pretty much across the board. I, I don't know how you felt about it, but I know 
with games in the past, I feel like we've come on here and we've talked about, okay, well, there was this mistake. Maybe it was a coaching decision. Maybe it was Montez was off and that was limiting the offense, you know, whatever it may be. But I feel like this week it was just, we, we just looked worse than them in almost every way, honestly. Yeah, it's, I mean, you said it right after the game ended. You also said it with a little bit to go in the third. You know, there wasn't a ton that you could point to other than they just seemed, we just seemed like we were the the worst team. And, I mean, obviously one thing that, that did stick out a lot, though, were the drop balls. And I think it was, was it two from Katie Nixon? Uh, I think it was two, like, right away. I know, because Montez starting one for six, I, I think... Yeah, he he had one, at least one, that he was on a slant that hit him in the hands, and if he had caught it, he probably, I mean, he he might have been able to take that thing to the house. To be completely honest, I don't think there was safety help or anything like that. So, um, that was really painful and and would have helped the game early. And then yeah, I think he had another one, another one later. Um, Laviska had a drop that, I mean, yeah, the throw was a little high, but you've got to think he catches that granted it's later in the game. I think they were, they were down 24 to seven at that point or something. So, you know, maybe he's just not as in it as he would have been in the beginning of the game, but still, you know, you hate to see guys just dropping passes. Montez is having a hard enough time as it is. So that just, that really sucks. (laughs) Yeah. And the thing about the drops too is this has actually been a problem for multiple seasons with Chev as the wide receiver coach, but I don't know how much you can really put drop balls on a coach. I mean, I see you can coach a lot of things like route running, blocking, you know, what you're supposed to do in certain situations, but I feel like catching the ball either it, it's got it's got to be like a focus thing, right? I can't really say it's necessarily on Chev. Yeah, no, I I don't think you can blame the coach. I I, I feel like catching is. Yeah, you know, I mean, you just you see receivers drop balls that they should catch all the time, and it's totally just. I, I think part of it's a focus thing. You know, sometimes you could say like that one with KD. Maybe you could say he realized that if he catches that thing, he's going to score, and so he's already thinking about his next move before the ball is actually in his hands. Um, you know, I I think that's like a common problem, but I I really think it's just it's on the players. Uh, you can't really. It's hard to blame the coach. I mean, what can you do? You know, make him catch more balls from the jugs machine or something. Like, you just, you know how to do it. You just have to make the play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's really all you could do is just put him on the jugs machine more. But I feel like they probably do that enough where putting an extra couple hours a week isn't going to make a huge difference. And, you know, like you said, it's got to be just focusing in on the catch and not looking to what your next step is. Or, I don't know. It's, it's frustrating to see that, though, when, you know, I think – a couple of those balls, like especially with that KD one, where if we score, it's a completely different game, and who knows what happens from then. Maybe maybe we don't have to kick a field goal with Stefano later on because we've got more momentum with us. It's just it, it kind of changes the whole complexion of the game. Hundred percent, definitely. I mean, you know, those are the those are the plays that I feel like have been killer for us really all season. It seems like in in the games that we've lost. Even the games that we lost big, it seemed like there were always plays early that you could look at and say, if they had converted that, maybe this is a completely different game. So, you know, it's it's kind of the same issue. Hopefully we don't see those with the buffs for years to come. But, you know, that the term buff shit exists for a reason. And that is some buff shit right there. It, it really is. And it's, it's frustrating to have to deal with that year after year after year. And 2016 almost feels like a dream at this point. I, I feel like I can't even remember how, <laughs> like, how is that even possible? Yeah. How did that happen? We were talking about that on the bus as far as, um, you know, just the teams that we've had in the past. Cause I mean, I mean, we'll talk about it a little bit, but the, this buffs team, very, very real. I think even most likely scenario is that they don't win another game for the rest of the year. They go three and nine and the season on an eight game losing streak. And it makes us think like, man, how did they ever win five games in 2017 and 2018? Because you'd think that this team has more talent than what they had those years. But it's just like, I, I don't know if it's the guys. I don't know if it's the, the leaders in the room, you know? I mean, this team just year after year now seems to be similar where mentally things start to go bad and they start to slow down and they give up. And now they're starting to give up earlier in games. And that's really been making the difference. Mm-hmm. It's Yeah. It's actually funny that you mentioned that. I didn't, we didn't put it down on the, 
on the outline here, but that's something that I think is not, I mean, it's being talked about, but I don't know if it's being talked about as much as it should be is that I think the leadership in terms of the, from the coaches is probably all right. I think Mel, Mel Tucker is a motivational guy. He's a very player. He's a player's coach. He's a very leader capable kind of individual, but I think from the player standpoint, maybe there isn't really that one person like a Philip Lindsay or a Cepho Lufau that's, that's like the, the one true identity leader, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think that's definitely true. I, I don't, you know, we don't know a lot of these guys personally. So who's to say if Montez is really a good leader, I feel like your quarterback being a guy who can really fire everyone up and, and keep them going throughout a game and throughout a season is really important. I don't know if he's that guy. It kind of seems like for the last three years, we've seen he's probably not that guy. <laughs> I think there's a lot of evidence to show that. Um, but as far as Mel, I, I got to say, I think you're right. And I think that shows up in some of the recruits that they're bringing in. Cause a lot of these guys, you know, they're, we'll, we'll see how it, how it goes at the end of the season. I hope everything stays the same, but a lot of these guys, you can tell, you know, they're, they're not wavering at all. All of them are saying like Carson Lee is saying all the time, just wait until we get there. Like Mel's building the right thing. Don't give up hope. We're going to get there and things are going to start turning around. And Keith Miller saying the same thing. And Brennan Rice is saying the same thing. Um, and you know, we'll talk about it later, but they've still got big guys coming to see the school. So I got to think that something that Mel's doing seems good and sounds good to these guys who are coming and visiting the team. It's just, yeah, I, like we, like we said earlier, and as much as it makes me shudder to say it, like coach McIntyre used to always say, you know, players make plays. So, uh, yeah. They got to start making the plays at some point. Pretty much. That's pretty much what it comes down to. You got to start believing in yourself and making the plays. The coaches can't go out there on the field for you, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, realistically, a lot of the guys from the 2016 team are gone. And I think we even mentioned it before. Some, some guys just have to kind of learn how to win at this level. And it seems like a lot of the guys on this team, you know, Montez included aside from the 2016 season when he had Cepho there as a starter, don't really know how to win and win consistently and win tough games. So, right. I mean, it's the close games that have really killed us when you think about it between losing the air force in overtime, Arizona by five and USC. I mean, that's three, that's bowl eligibility right there, you know, and not that you're going to win every tight game that you have, but even if you get two of those, you know, maybe this team is believing in themselves a lot more. Maybe there's a difference in how the season looks at this point, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean, man. if they get two of those, if they get two of those. We aren't looking at Stanford like, or we aren't looking at the rest of the the season like. Will the most likely scenario is three and nine? Yeah, you know, we're right, looking yeah. at we're looking at we really have a good shot at bowl eligibility with the, with these last three games. We can win one of them, but here we are. Yeah, here we are now, just talking about basketball and, and pretty much looking to the future at this point. Mm -hmm. Yes, and you know, you mentioned him uh, once already, but Lavisca Chenault, what is the deal there? <laughs> yeah, we were talking about it during the game, and I, I kind of noticed it early on. But all of a sudden, he he would just disappear from the game, and I at first I thought, uh oh, maybe he's injured. You know, maybe they're just keeping him out so he doesn't get beat up. I mean, obviously he's going to have an NFL career here coming up. So at this point in the year, I I don't know. The best thing for him is is probably to not be in games that they don't have a chance to win. But he was like. He would come in intermittently. I mean, he would come in. He would not be in for one, first and second down and coming in third down. And I was thinking, okay, maybe he's hurt and they're only using him when they need a conversion. But then he ran a wildcat and looked good doing it. I mean, we were both looking at that play. It almost looked like he was going to score a touchdown on that. So, you know, I I don't know what's going on with him. Yeah, at one point, I, some guys said that they saw him on the bike you know, at one point in the game, but then the rest of the time he was just on the sideline. And, and kind of like you said, it was, it was really sporadic. It was really weird and didn't make any sense. Like, why is he not in on first and second down, but then you're putting him in to run a wildcat where he's going to get hit if you're trying to conserve, preserve his body, you know? And so I, I wonder the coaching staff doesn't really have much motivation to not be giving him a huge workload right, in, in this right. game. You know, they're trying to get to, six wins obviously after last night really can't happen but you're trying to get to get a respectable ish win win loss record and without Lavisca you probably won't 
So I don't think the coaching staff has much motivation to do that. And then he, you know, just from his, like from the interviews you've seen him from what he talks about, he doesn't seem like the kind of guy that's not going to try no. in every single game he plays. Like no, he seems like no. he's, he's got the drive. So I don't see where, where this kind of decision making would be coming from, I guess is what I'm confused about. Yeah. And the thing that confuses me the most is there wasn't really any, I mean, like I said, okay, first and second down, he's out third down. He comes in, but I mean, the opposite of that was true. Sometimes he'd be out on third down plays. He'd come in for only second down. Sometimes he would be on, on run plays and he'd be in on pass plays, not get the ball. Like he was all over the place. There was just no consistency to any of it. And I think that's what was the most confusing to me is you know, if something was going wrong with him, you think maybe they cut out, cut him out from certain plays. Like, okay, maybe we're not going to have him run block, you know, but he was doing that. Maybe we're not going to have him wildcat, but he was doing that. So, you know, I'm, I'm with you. I, I don't know where the decision is coming from. I think Mel Tucker said something about, you know, he's been dealing with injuries and, and he's been banged up, but he's been toughing it out for us. But, you know, he said earlier in the week, he's as close as he's been to 100% in a long time. Um, and like we talked about, you know, in this game, he ran the ball out of the Wildcat. So how injured could he have possibly been if they were still giving him the ball to to run into guys and, and 100% get tackled, you know? Right. And one, I mean, one interesting nugget that I kind of forgot about until this game was that Chev allows not, I don't think all the receivers, but I think Tony Brown, Katie, and LaVisca to kind of set their own rotation, which is interesting to hear that the coaches allowing the players to do that. This seems kind of what, like, why the coach is there in the first place. But uh, maybe, I mean, I wonder if he's putting himself on a pitch count, not because he doesn't want to help the team, but because, you know, he's he does realistically have millions of dollars on the line. So, you know, I think maybe he's looking at it like, I want to try and make plays with the a limited amount of snaps for this team so that I don't ruin the chance that I have at a professional career. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's totally hard to say his initial injury was pretty obscure in the first place. And, you know, for all we know, he could be, the coaches could be trying to keep him out and he's on the place that he's going in. It's just him like convincing them to put him in the game. You know, it could be the other way around. Um, I definitely saw at least a couple of times where he went to line up like he was about to run the play and then got called off the field like he wasn't expecting it. So, you know, I yeah, I've got no idea what's going on there. Um, but if they want any hope to win any of the next three games, you know, you're going to need that guy in the lineup. So in the on the roster. So I I don't know. I don't know what's going on with him. I mean, I know. I, I feel confident that LaVisca is the type of guy he wants to play when he can. He wants to help the team. I mean, in that ASU game where he got taken out early and couldn't play, he was like borderline in tears on the sidelines, you know. So he wants to be in. He wants to help his team. Um, but it was very strange how they were handling his usage for sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah, kind of like, I mean, I've seen some people saying that he doesn't care for this team, and I think that's complete bullshit to kind of yeah. call him out for that. No I can way. see – yeah, there's a difference between not caring and then also wanting to make sure that you aren't ruining your future career. Right. You know? So yeah. it, I could I could understand the latter, but um, he definitely doesn't have any of the former in him. No, I I don't feel that way at all. Yeah. So you know we'll see if he if he comes out against Stanford uh, because I think that's a team where he could because he, he's going to get matched up, but with Paulson Adebo, who's who I mean last year he was a freshman All American for Stanford, but he's obviously going to be the best cornerback on the field for that game. So I think he's going to get matched up for them. If he can take Paulson to Debo and force maybe a couple, another guy to follow on top of that, then that's going to open up some, some lanes for some other guys. Granted, we need Montez to actually make the reads. <laughs> yeah. That, that could be a tough ask the way he's been playing recently. Mm-hmm. Um, one, one interesting thing, you know, regarding Montez. Well, two, two, actually, he is now after this last week tied for, the career touchdown record at CU with 60. He's tied with Cepho and Cody Hawkins. So he really needs one more to, to take that. And a lot of people are saying, well, what's the reason to play him now? We need to figure out if one of these two guys behind him can play. And we haven't, like, there's no, we're, we're not going to make a bowl. So let's, let's see what Lytle or Stenstrom can do. And somebody actually asked him that uh, at practice today. And Tucker came right out and said, no, Montez gives us our best chance to win. Uh, I'm sure of that, and I'm comfortable with him leading the offense. So I don't think 
we're going to get much of Stenstrom or Lytle to end the year. No, and and we were talking about it a little bit before the pod, but it seems to it seems to me that this is this is just saying okay, no Montez or excuse me, not no Montez, but Lytle and Stenstrom are are not the guys next year, no matter what. They know that for a fact, and I just think that if that so if that's the case, I I hope they're looking at grad tra- grad transfers. I hope there's some traction there, you know, or. I mean, obviously we know about Brendan Lewis, but they, uh, they clearly, I think at this point, this is like the most definitive evidence we've seen. He's not looking towards the quarterbacks that he has for next year, because if he was, it would totally make more sense to play them right now than it does to play Montez, getting them some game action. I mean, I guess maybe he could say there's still a theoretical chance at a bowl. So you keep Montez in, but uh, you know, we've talked about it a little bit already. It's it's a very, very slim chance. So, And this is probably the worst defense they're going to face the rest of the way. So you would think that this game would be the game to put in your younger guys if that's what you were going to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I feel like if if it was any – if there's any shot at all of those guys playing, he would come out with maybe some like – more of like a coach speak type response where right, he says, right. you know, we're going to go through practice and we'll, we'll see what, what it looks like come game day. But he just – flat out said no Montez is the is the guy that gives us the best chance and so I mean yeah like you said of anything we've heard to this point that really or seen that really just kind of puts the icing on top that we don't probably don't have our 2020 quarterback on the roster right now yeah I I would say that's that's definitely true it seems like um (laughs) he he, I mean we've been talking about it all year why don't they put these guys in why don't they put these guys in and I feel like it's clear now you know it's because they don't they don't believe in them and they don't think that they're going to play and they'll be either like you said before uh before the podcast they'll either be backups at cu or they will transfer yep and i, I guess one of the things that's really frustrating for me is i actually stumbled upon across across this uh tweet over the weekend um it said it was the quarterback rating for all the quarterbacks in the Pac-12 to week twen, week, week ten, excuse me. And guess who is dead last in the <laughs> Pac-12? Yeah, that's that's our boy Montez right there. Yeah, I mean he's worse than DTR, who we both called out for being very, very below or very, very average at the at best and below average on on a normal day. So. I mean, he, he had a couple of good games in the beginning of the year, and then he's just really, the last five games in particular, he's just been pretty much god-awful. Yeah, I think that's the craziest part about it, is that he has had games where he's played very well. So for his quarterback rating to be that low, you know he has had some of the worst clunkers of anyone in the entire league. So, you know, and that's Montez. We, we said it from the beginning. Inconsistent. He has the talent and the ability that you would think he'd be putting up huge numbers every game, but for some reason, he also has the ability to come out and throw four picks in one game. So, yeah. So I mean, you know, as far as from what we've heard from the staff, this is kind of what we're going to see the rest of the year. And you know, one one name I guess to keep an eye on for for those of you out there who are looking at either grad transfer or a transfer. You know, why not look at Joey Gatewood? He's the backup quarterback at Auburn. He was a high four-star. And I don't think he'd necessarily, unless he gets a waiver, which is somewhat likely with how the NCAA grants him these days, he probably wouldn't be playing next year. But, you know, if they aren't comfortable with either of the two guys behind Montez, you might just want to flip that entire quarterback room. And getting somebody like that would be would be a big step up. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I I would imagine that they're probably making calls that way. I, I think that they're probably looking into that. I mean, we've already had some interest from some big guys who are transferring. So, you know, I, I think that there's a decent chance they have success in that area. And, and I really, really hope they do. Because if they could get someone big as a QB, then, you know, it, it either it takes the pressure off of Brendan Lewis or, you know, it gives us a backup plan if maybe he's not what they thought or, you know, it increases the competition, which I don't think is ever a bad thing. I think we're kind of seeing right now what happens when a quarterback is a starter for three years and never really has anyone to challenge him. So, you know, I think it's it's all good. It's all good in that area. So I would hope that they 
they can either get him or they get someone else who's a really talented transfer. That would be amazing. <laughs> that could really turn around the outlook for next year for sure. Yeah, and, and kind of like you mentioned, you never really do know what you have with guys coming out. I mean, obviously, the higher the rating, the more likely they're going to be a good college player. So, I mean, Brendan Lewis is, is on that higher scale, and you never know what you're going to get with him. So it's always nice to have a backup option or a second option just in case. But, I mean, I think at least for him, I'm, I'm still really confident in him. I mean, he did have a game last week where he wasn't doing too hot throwing the ball, but then he ran for 200 yards. Yeah. And then <laughs> and then he throws for six touchdowns in the first half just this last Friday night. So, yeah. you know, I mean, I think I think he's going to have a really good shot to be successful and just – but, you know, there's no – there's nothing bad about getting some second options in there or some backups just in case something happens. No, definitely can't hurt. Yeah, and speaking of the uh, the big time transfers you were talking about, Adam Munster Tiger, the two four seven B rider over for the Buffs, actually released that Antonio Alfano, the former number one overall prospect in the two thousand nineteen recruiting class, he was a defensive end on the strong side defensive end. He actually visited Boulder on Sunday to meet with Tucker and some of the staff and check out the facilities. So, you know, if we can pull something like that off. That would be huge. Yeah, that would be amazing. I mean, you know, the question with these guys is always what didn't work out at the school that they were at, you know. So I think the thing that's the only thing with transfers that you're you're really wondering. But with this guy, I mean, you know, he was a five star talent. So obviously that's got to be still there. And he played for Alabama, which I would like to think that even the third string defensive end for Alabama, fourth string, fifth string is probably probably going to be an upgrade at anything we've got here at CU on the depth chart. So um, absolutely, definitely could help. And it's cool to see, you know, big time guys like that showing some interest in the school for sure. Yeah. And actually he, even though he didn't play for Alabama this year, he is actually in line, I think, to play a ton for them. And the only reason he didn't was because, you know, he stopped going to practices and stopped going to classes, which, which from, from what his family is saying sounds a lot like, his grandma got sick and he was really he's really close with her and so it was really taking a toll on him and I'm not one to to you know speculate on what his reasons for that are so I mean he was good enough to get a lot of playing time at Bama so you know if if see if you land something like that that turns a lot of heads both nationally in the like you know in Pac-12 and nationally for recruits so that would be huge. Right. And it, it changes the whole outlook of, I mean, we've talked about it. I know a lot of other people have too, about the defensive recruiting, recruiting the defensive side of the ball that Mel Tucker's staff has done and, and how it's it's been kind of questionable. But if you get a guy like that in there, it kind of changes the whole outlook of who we've got coming in next year. Because if, if you could have a solid defensive line, I mean, it makes up for a lot of things that you could struggle with in the secondary because you could actually get pressure, which is something the Buffs really haven't done hardly any of this year, at least not since early in the season. And, um, you know, we've got some young guys like Trujillo who are getting a lot of experience at corner. And, um, I, you know, we could potentially have a defense that doesn't give up 30 points a game next year, which would be awesome. Yeah, that'd be huge, especially considering, you know, not only the nine games this year, but I think it's like 15 straight games that we've given up 30 plus points. Yeah, it's something absolutely obscene. Horrible. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, you get a guy like that and that other recruits take notice and, and kind of want to figure out why this guy is going to Boulder. And then, you know, it, I think it starts a kind of a snowball effect. Right. Right. So, exactly. Yeah. You get, you get him and, and that changes the, the outlook for the D line next year, putting him across from Mustafa. Yeah. That would be awesome. I, Oh God, I hope they can get something like that going. Cause it's going to be tough if we have this year and then next year is also a struggle. And then you're looking at year three, of Mel Tucker and and there's a lot of pressure on that, you know. So, let's get some good guys in here and and let's make next year something promising for sure. Yeah. So, uh you know, I, I think that that'll pretty much wrap up uh most of the UCLA game and, and some of the some of the recruiting news, but uh, is there anything positive from the UCLA game? I know it's kind of getting hard at this point to come up with anything, but anything that you saw? Um, I mean, you know, I we we talked a lot of crap about how Nate Landman has played this year earlier in the season, but 
it does kind of feel like recently he's starting to figure out his role in this defense and play a little bit more comfortable. You know, he had two sacks in this game, which was big, and a couple tackles for loss. So he seems to be kind of getting back to his old self, making plays for this team, which is is good to see. So I would say he's he's my guy who I actually liked seeing what he did out there last night, which or not last night, excuse me, uh, Saturday night. And, um, you know, there weren't a lot of them out on the field, so. Yeah, and I actually didn't realize this, but he's got 92 tackles on the season, which puts him at second in the Pac-12 behind, of, of course, Evan Weaver, who seems like he gets 20 tackles. <laughs> right, but, right. You know, to, I, I didn't expect him to have that many tackles after what we've seen kind of this year. And I think, as you mentioned, you know, if he can continue to improve as far as coverage goes, I mean, he doesn't have to be a all-conference coverage linebacker, but if he can, you know, stick with the run-stopping ability he has and then improve his pass coverage ability just a bit so he's not a complete liability then that's that'll be huge for next year yeah I mean he just he looks like he's getting more comfortable every week which is kind of something that you would expect to see from a defense that's on you know going through a new scheme going through a scheme change but it's been hard for us because of all the injuries they've had it's it's been hard to see like week to week improvement but I, I think you can definitely say that Nate Lambin has has shown that he's starting to pick it up because he does look more comfortable and he's definitely getting back to more what he was last year where he's getting downfield, he's making plays, you know, he's not missing tackles and he's really one of the, one of the bright spots on the defense for sure. Yeah. Um, one of the, one of the people that kind of stood out for me was, uh, Jaron Mangum. He, he had a, you know, without looking, I think he, oh, here it is. It's 17 carries for 77 yards. So, I mean, nothing eye popping, but in his first start, at running back since Alex Fontenot was out with, I actually don't know. Did we ever figure out what it was? I I didn't hear anything. I'm not sure. Yeah. So, I mean, he averaged four and a half yards a carry. He looked, I mean, he's always fallen forward, which he's done all year really. But in, in the starting role, I was, I was pretty impressed. He's still just a freshman and we're getting both of those guys back next year. I think they're only going to improve from here. So, you know, Mangum coming in and filling in for Fontenot and doing a, a solid job was, is always good to see. Yeah, I mean Mangum's exciting, honestly. I, it, the combination of him and Fontenot, and and I mean, the, it's it's impressive. I think I think the running back group. You know, we kind of talked about it at the beginning of the season. We thought the running back group could actually be pretty solid if this year plays out the way we think, and and I think they've shown it so far, really. So Mangum, he like you said, he didn't have any eye popping numbers, but just from being there, I can tell you he. He may have only had four and a half yards per carry, but he was fighting for every single one of those yards a lot of the time. I mean, he was he was making plays that, you know, sometimes that's all you need. Sometimes you just need that guy who will fall forward, like you said, get those couple extra yards. And and I, I don't think he's far from being someone who's seriously, seriously talented and someone that we can lean on in the future. Right. And, you know, we'll, we'll get him. And then if we can get just one other one solid force or not four star running back to come in, in the next recruiting class. Like they do have a four star visiting next week. Uh, you know, that'll just set up pretty much the next four years of running backs for us. Yeah. So that would be awesome. Yeah. That's something we haven't really had certainty in, in a while. Uh, and, and getting something like in a Clayton would be, would be massive. Amazing. Yep. So, you know, let's, let's get on to the Stanford game. Uh, Stanford was off this last week. They had a bye. So I, I need to stop calling it a bye. I've started to kind of gravitate towards that <laughs> position of stop calling it a bye, call it an off week. Right. It's not. But anyways, um, the, you know, Stanford's coming back or coming to Boulder and KJ Costello is finally healthy again, which means that we don't have the fortune of getting to go up against Jack West because I don't think even he could tear up this defense. Oh God. I know that guy was so bad. It, it's unfortunate, yeah. but you know, KJ Costello is who they thought they would have in the beginning. Um, he struggled with injuries, but he played last week or not last week, the week before and, and looked really solid. So you got to assume he's healthy and he's going to be playing well. Yeah. And you know, the thing about the defense, even though they gave up another 30 plus point game, for large stretches of the game, they actually played very solid. I know at one point they stopped the UCLA offense four straight drives, or maybe it was even five. Obviously, the CU offense did nothing to help them out. But, you know, incremental improvement at least. So maybe they can kind of keep that train rolling going into Stanford. 
And if the offense can just help them, just help them just a little bit, that'll take some pressure off, off that defense. Yeah, definitely. I mean, look, the, uh, the Stanford offense, as far as skill position players, they don't have any, anyone with super eye popping numbers. I mean, it, it's not anything crazy, but they definitely have some weapons. I mean, their tight end, Colby Parkinson, you know, we talked about a tight end that could hurt us in this last game. And, and I think he did for the most part. Um, but he's another one, Colby Parkinson tight end for, for Stanford. He's their third leading receiver, uh, in yards. He has a touchdown and, and he averages 11.5 yards per reception. So, you know, he's a big play guy and, and he could be a tough one for this defense. And I'm hoping you know, that we can see some more improvement. I mean, we're still waiting for that first game this year where they don't give up 30 points. So, God, uh, let's let's do something about it, please. <laughs> yeah, I, I would love if we can end one of these games without giving up 30 points. I don't see it, I, I, you know, just like last week, I don't think it's likely, but just some sort of improvement has, has got to be shown. I mean, because, oh, they were close. They were close. Yeah. They were sitting at 24 yeah. points, and I thought, okay. They're going to do it this week. It won't matter because our offense couldn't do anything. And then Joshua Kelly broke off like a 35-yard touchdown run, and that was it. Yeah. And that actually, we would have held him to, held Joshua Kelly to under 100 yards without that without that run, which would have been his first time in like, what, how many games? Like three, four games <sighs> without a 100-yard game? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, so we, we were so close, but so far. <laughs> so far. So, you know... And then, obviously, as we mentioned, the offense once again just disappeared, and I, I I can't really has I can't really blame Jay Johnson as much as I blame Montez because I mean he he really has kind of lived up to that one read quarterback and panics with there's pressure, gets happy feet in the pocket billing that he had at the beginning of the year, and somehow it seems like it's gotten worse this year than it has been the past two years. Yeah, I mean he's he's really struggled. And it's kind of strange to see because we really felt like, I mean, even early in the year, it showed, you know, we have plenty of wide receiver talent on this team. So those guys should be getting open. And from being at the game last weekend, I can tell you that there were plays that those guys were open. And and yes, Montez had some unfortunate luck. There were drop passes. We already talked about that. But he's really got to take control here. I mean, if they want to win this game, and really any game for the rest of the year, he has to go back to being comfortable and being good Montez, which we've seen when he does that, they're a completely different team and a completely different offense. So, you know, they've, they've played better at home. Um, they haven't lost a game by more than touchdown at home. And, and the one game that they did lose by seven was air force and only because it went to overtime. So, you know, if, if they can keep this close and if Montez can, can have a good game again finally then they they could win in all honesty i mean stanford is not an unbeatable team it's just every week i feel like it's getting tougher and tougher to see that happening yeah and you know the issue is like i said kind of with with the johnson versus montez debate you know when when you go through your first read and it's not there and then you just panic i mean there's not really you can't really scheme yourself through that it seems like you know you have to you have to be able to at least make a second read and then if you can't do that then go to your check down at running back but he he seems like he can't even do that anymore which is really putting a damper on pretty much everything i'm assuming i'm assuming jay johnson wants to do in the offense yeah it's it's got to make it difficult i mean yeah because you can't you can't do anything about that other than try to scheme that first receiver open every single time which obviously he does but you know i mean you can't you can't win with a quarterback who's only going to throw it to one guy. And if he doesn't have that one guy, he panics. And we've seen times this season where he hasn't done that. We've seen times when he's gone through his reads, gone through his progressions, stayed in the pocket, stayed calm. And, you know, looked like that guy who was getting some draft hype earlier in the year. And he's kind of just vanished. So, you know, I, I don't know what needs to happen. I don't know if it's getting back to what they did against USC, maybe having him run the ball a little bit more, get a little bit more comfortable. Um, but I think, you know, all of that is predicated by what the offense can do for the air. So he's got to make some passes. He's got to get going early, which has been a problem recently. And man, um, it's, it's just hard. It's hard when you have this team that 
they need their quarterback to be playing so well, more so than others, because that defense has struggled. And we just have this guy who throughout his entire career has been so wildly inconsistent. So I don't know. I mean, we talked about it earlier. I've, I've been kind of a Montez apologist for most of his career. I've definitely leaned that way, but I'm kind of getting to the point now where I'll be happy when this year is over just for something different, if nothing else, you know? Yeah. You know, just, just being able to see what a Brendan Lewis or grad transfer can do in this offense. Just, I just want to see something else. Right. You know? Right. Cause we have the fifth year senior quarterback on our team and he definitely did not look like it last, last, uh, in their last game or mm-hmm. really in many of the games this year, he has not looked like the guy who has more experience and is more confident. Right. You know, it's, and it's, it's unfortunate that, that that's kind of the situation that we're in, but Again, kind of like you mentioned earlier, that's just kind of buff shit. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Buff shit is having a guy start for three years and show pretty much no improvement whatsoever. Yeah. He, well, he actually he's actually pretty much regressed yes. in all major passing categories from sophomore year till now. Yes. So that's always good to see. Yeah, horrible. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, one, really the only only other question I kind of have going into this game is, do you, I mean, do you think any of the guys have given up? Um, you know, I, it's hard to say, like, I, I don't think so because every, even in their last game that just felt so miserable for most of it, they still had stretches. I mean, that, that defense who has been getting beat up all year still had a stretch of, I don't know how many it was exactly three, four drives, um, against UCLA where they stood up and they didn't give up any points. And it was the only thing that gave the buffs even half a chance at winning that game. So, you know, they seem like they're still fighting. I mean, they had Tariq Luckett out there starting at corner, you know, and at one point he was out of the game and they had a guy on the field that you and I were like, who is that guy? And had to look up the roster and it wasn't even the correct number on the listed roster on the website for the guy. So, yeah, but it was Dylan Thomas. It was (laughs) was Dylan Thomas. So, you know, it's one of those things where you you can only do so much. So with the defense, at least, I feel like they're still, they're giving it their best. You know, they're, they're really trying out there and it has still shown up, I think personally, um, as much as yes, we've talked about, they've given up 30 points all the time, blah, 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 blah. But they are still showing some fight. I think personally, um, the offense is what worries me. You know, I, I mean, I, I like Katie Nixon, obviously LaVisca Chanel, Tony Brown, that wide receiver group is very good, but I feel like I we've seen maybe, I don't know if that's part of why we've had the drops. I mean, KD has definitely dropped some significant passes in recent weeks that have been pretty killer. Um, Montez, I feel like the question has always been, is his head really in it? You know, I mean, there were questions of his maturity going into the year that I kind of waved off, but, you know, now you're talking about two years in a row, they're going to have losing streaks of seven games and eight games. I mean, I feel like that's got to point to something mentally, you know? Yeah. Well, I think, I don't know the exact number, but he's had in the last three years, a good number of games with bull eligibility on the line, obviously not this year, but the two years before it, where he had bull eligibility on the line and he's over, obviously. Yeah. Over a lot. So yeah. yeah, that's, you know, that's not a good sign. And, you know, I don't know if he's, if you could say he's giving up, but it's, it's hard for me to look at the team that they played. I mean, they played USC and they almost beat that team. And then after losing, they went to UCLA, who I think is clearly not as good as USC and didn't look half as good. I mean, looked much worse. And I feel like that has to say something about just not putting a hundred percent effort in all the time. And I don't know. I could be totally off here. There could be something else going on, but Montez is going to need to show something to convince me otherwise at this point. Yeah, I'm with you there. And I was pretty much going to say the exact same thing as for as much crap as we give the defense, they do seem like they're, they're playing their asses off every single game. And, and it really does suck when you have Tariq Luckett and Dylan Thomason, who are both converted wide receivers that should have had, well, at least Tariq Luckett should have had, some time to develop before he's ever playing, but yes, you know, this is kind of the situation that they've been given. And uh, I don't think that any of the guys on the defense are really quote unquote quitting or giving up, no. but yeah, it, it is the offensive side of the ball that kind of worries me. And, and if, 
Montez and co come out and put up another basically egg in this game, you know, it's going to be pretty, pretty obvious that some, something's not there and some, somebody's not really focused in. Right. Right. So, you know, other than that, um, this is a big recruiting weekend for CU. We kind of mentioned it earlier, but they've got the Antonio Alfano coming in. They've got Christian Gonzalez, who's a Purdue commit, which would be huge for us. He's a cornerback. You know, Keith Miller's coming back, a shot Clayton, a four-star running back. We've got an LSU defensive lineman that he's committed to LSU coming to this game. So, I mean, this is probably the biggest recruiting weekend that CU's had in years. And, and I don't want to forget Jason Harris, who's also a four-star defensive end. There's just a ton of guys coming in. So being able to get a winner, at least look competent in this game, would be really big for those guys. Definitely, definitely. And, you know, I, I hope the guys who are already committed to the buffs are out there really, really pushing for him. I know Brendan Rice said he was going to be there. Um, you know, we need those guys to be talking. We need them to be saying, look, here's what this is going to look like, regardless of what happens on the field, you know, because, yeah, you're right. If we could get some of those guys, it, it would be huge for us. And I hope that, um, you know, the guys that the Buffs have out there put up a good fight. I hope it stays close, and I think it can. So, you know, I'll, I'll be looking for that in this game. I'm not even, at this point, I am not even looking for wins anymore. I'm just looking for, <laughs> give me something to be happy about, please. Yeah, I'm I'm with you there. So, with that being said, what do you got for this game going down? I said, um, you know, as much as I've been so optimistic about the Buffs pretty much all year, even when they didn't deserve it, clearly, um... I'm I'm gonna go ahead and say I think Stanford wins this one. I'm my score prediction is thirty eight to thirty. I only say that because that offense has played much better at home pretty much every game. So I think they'll they'll kind of get back on track and they'll put up points again. But I just I worry about um, KJ Costello coming in there and and tearing them up. So I think it's gonna be Stanford thirty eight, Buffs thirty. Well, it's a little bit of a switching of roles. I'm usually the earlier earlier negative. Yes. On, on the team, I actually still think, I think, you know, it's because it's such a big recruiting weekend, it's it's a home game where the team usually steps up a little bit. And the offense is, you know, with all the talent, I think it's due for a third good game. <laughs> just just the third one of the year. Yeah, just and, the third. You know, I, I would hope Montez is still very much focused, even though the ball eligibility is kind of out of the question at this point. I've got Buffs winning 35-34 and... You know, that's that's all I I would love it I, if they could just pull that off with these recruits. But I, you know. <laughs> I mean, this is like exactly the type of game that the Buffs win. We I I said it kind of jokingly before we started podcasting, but this would be the perfect like okay, Buffs beat Stanford. People are feeling kind of good, and then they're at home again for Washington after uh, a week off and. Maybe they somehow shock them and everyone's like, oh my gosh, you know, Mel Tucker and the coaching, it's finally starting to show and the offense looks good. And then we go and play Utah and get beat by 40. So, right. you know, which honestly I would be okay with if they, if they showed some fight, I would be super happy about that. But you know, it, it's just classic buffs if, if that was to happen. So it's definitely not out of the question. They could definitely win. I just, I'm tired of picking them and then letting me down so hard. So I hope I'm wrong, but Man, um, it, it's it's tough for me to see them kind of turning it around right now. Yeah, I I am with you there. Um, but that'll that'll do it for the for the Stanford game. Uh, what do you got looking for lines on the rest of the games around college football this week? So, uh, rest of the games for college football. Let's see. Um, against my better judgment, I am gonna make a Pac-12 pick, even though those have been impossible in recent weeks. So I said. Washington State minus seven and a half versus Cal. I I just think the Washington State offense is going to be able to score, even though it's Cal's defense. You know they they haven't been as strong, and it, that Cal offense is so terrible. I mean they really struggle against everyone that they play. I mean they struggled against Oregon State. So you know I I think this is a good one for Washington State to to win by probably at least ten. I would say, and. Um, yeah, that's, you know, that's, that's what I'm feeling there, but the Pac-12 has bitten me a couple of times already. So we'll <laughs> see. Um, my other, my next one is LSU plus six and a half versus Alabama. 
I know it's it's in Alabama, I believe. Do you know? Um, it's 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 at Alabama. It's at Alabama. Yeah. So this is a huge game for both teams. Obviously, we're talking about number one versus number two here. But I I think no matter what happens, it's going to be close. I think six and a half points is just too many. Um, we also aren't one hundred percent sure if Tua Tagovailoa, the quarterback for Alabama possible number one pick in the draft you know top quarterback taken we're not even sure if he's gonna play it was announced that he was a game time decision earlier so if he doesn't play then i i would be surprised if alabama can still pull this one out um i think lsu's offense is just better than uh just i mean you know uh, a two list alabama team i don't think can keep up with an lsu offense with Joe Burrow, the way he's been playing. So I, I will take LSU plus six and a half. I do think they could definitely win that game outright without a question. Um, and then my last pick is Wisconsin minus eight and a half versus Iowa. The only worry in this one for me is that it's a classic Iowa game, kind of big 10 game where they, they lose it 10 to seven or something. But the way I justify it is Wisconsin and Iowa are actually very similar teams their defense is what propels them to wins for the most part. They're kind of ground and pound. You know, they're not a air raid by any means type of offense. But, you know, Wisconsin is just better at it. So I'm going to take Wisconsin minus eight and a half. All right. And, you know, the, the one thing I have to add about your Wazoo bet is Wazoo could win this bet. They could cover the spread if they scored 20 points. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Cal's offense is that bad. Yeah. So... Uh, my my three for this week. My first one starting off, uh, I'm going to take Washington minus ten against Oregon State. It's in Corvallis, but you know Oregon State obviously they've they've improved this year. They've beaten a couple of Pac-12 teams now, but beating uh, a bad UCLA team, even though they beat us, but beating a bad, bad UCLA so, team, you know, we're bad. Yeah. That's a good point. Beating a bad UCLA team, beating a bad or regressing at least Arizona team, doesn't really scream keeping it within 10 with to Washington, you know? So no, I'm going to, I'm going to stick with Washington, even though it's in Corvallis. I think they're going to be coming off uh, a pretty heated week of practice after they lost this last week to Utah. And I mean, this is the, probably the first time they've had four losses in four or five years. So, you know, that's, and they're not even done with the season yet. So we'll, I, I would, I would expect Washington to come out firing. And then my second game Penn State minus six and a half against Minnesota. It's it's in Minnesota as well, but you know Penn State has looked like one of the best teams in the country. You know, like they're obviously, I think they're very deserving of a top ten spot. And even though Minnesota's undefeated, you know their schedule to this point they haven't played anybody where I'm like, wow, that was a a really quality win, and that was they they just kind of took over the game. So I think this is their first real major test, and I think that they're gonna they're gonna fall by more than a touchdown here against Penn state. And then my last bet here, I'm going to go away from college football. <laughs> I'm taking the buffs in college basketball at plus 12,000 odds to win the national championship. <laughs> Sco. Sco buffs. That's got to be the easiest bet I've ever made in my life. Sco. Um, yeah, that's, you know, two things, two things about your bets. Okay. Number one, um, I think, Oregon State versus Washington, you know, that Washington offense, I think they're just going to cut through Oregon State's defense like it was nothing. And the Washington defense, I think, is is a lot better than what Oregon has faced recently or Oregon State has faced recently. So I feel like that's a good bet. And then the actual CU National Championship thing, um, credit freeballing podcasts, I should say, um, is actually a bet that you can win money on if they just make the NCAA tournament. So... Um, I don't know if you've heard that breakdown. No, I haven't. Did they did they go over that in their last podcast? Uh, not their last one. It was a couple of weeks ago when the odds first came out, I think. But supposedly, oh, okay. if you bet the Buffs to win the national championship, you can, like, you know, you said it's, what, plus 12,000 odds? So if you put some money on it, you don't have to put much to, to win a lot. And if they make it to the NCAA tournament, you can then bet against them in every game and win you so you'll win money if they lose if you as long as you bet more than your initial bet which is going to be small because it's huge odds and you'll win money if they win because it's huge odds that's yeah i didn't even think about playing it like that when you when you fade them at once they get to the tournament so that's a good way to play it or but, or 
you stick with it because the Buffs are going to win the national championship. And then you really add your <laughs> There you go. <laughs> yep, so that'll do it for, for the bets of the week. Um, as far as tweets for this week, I think we both have one, and I'll let you start it off, Chase. Yeah, so mine um, is very much in the same vein as the rest of this podcast. It's very on-brand for us. It is about Nebraska. Um, it comes from Chris Hassel, which is his Twitter handle is at Hassel underscore Chris. Uh, despite being eliminated from 2019 title contention, Nebraska still is very much in contention to be picked to win the Big Ten in 2020, which is exactly how they got all that hype this year. So, you know, Scott Frost and Adrian Martinez, and yeah, they'll be good. No. I Part of me thinks that even though they've had this year, somehow the, the media and Scott Frost will pump the sunshine and they'll somehow be you know, pick to either like win or get second in the big 10 oh, yeah. West. Yeah. So, this, uh, somehow this is our year. I promise not the last two, yeah. but this one. Yeah. And then they will go over six in their last six games. Yeah. So yeah, we'll, we'll see what that comes to next year. But mine comes from barstool LSU at LSU barstool uh, of all the barstool accounts. I think the LSU one specifically is my favorite. Whoever runs that one is hilarious. And, and this is just one of his, random tweets and he said do you think people in alabama would know college is a thing if there wasn't college football so that uh, to me uh, just lsu barstool you have to give a follow they, no. they say some of the funniest stuff the answer is no the answer is no <laughs> uh, they would probably so, think well what's the point of that would be right. what i would say so that will do it for for this week's episode. You know, as always, if you have something to ask, or if you just want to vent and you don't want us to read anything, just send us something at the mailbag, and we'll we'll take a look at it. But thank you for listening this week. Yeah, as always, subscribe, give us those five star ratings, leave comments. You know, keep listening to us through the hard times. It's it's gonna be okay. We'll all suffer through it together. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, as always, thanks for listening and go buffs. Let's go. And roll tad. And roll tad. <laughs>